Good evening. It's been uh, six months since I've preached, so this will be, be an adventure for, for everybody. Um, <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for tonight, for this opportunity to hear your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us, uh, for your son, uh, the gracious gift that he was, and uh, the grace that you bestowed upon us to choose us to place us in Him. Uh, Lord, without You, we, uh, we, would, we could not stand before You. We could not live without You, Father. So, Lord, tonight I ask that as we uh, look into Your Word, that our hearts would be open, that, that we would see uh, what, what Your Spirit wants to show to us, and that, that we would just truly come to a greater appreciation of your grace, uh, in spite of uh, any difficulties that may come along with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, uh, I had lunch with a friend about, about uh, two weeks ago, and it was an in- interesting conversation because it became clear to me as we spoke that, that the American dream has become the Bahamian dream. This idea of, you know, I, w- I need a big house and I need so many kids and, and pets and cars and, and this kind of thing. And, and I need to be able to achieve that to feel like I'm going somewhere in life. Um, but he still expressed his frustrations about the pressure he feels to accomplish that, uh, to give everything he wants to give to his family, because the economy isn't cooperating and society isn't cooperating. Um, and it just leaves him frustrated. But in the meanwhile, he, he has a wife, he has two kids, he drives a nice car, he's the manager of a respected business, uh, he lives in a nice area. And it just got me thinking about our expectations in life and, and how do we approach the blessings that God gives us. So tonight I want to do a little mini exercise with, with those of us who are here. Uh, I want to read some statements that were discussed in my, in my counseling class this last semester. Um, and I want you, on a scale of one to five, think to yourself, don't shout it out loud, please. Think to yourself how much you agree with this. Five means I strongly agree with this. One means I don't agree with that at all. Okay? Um, so, first one. God's love can be earned. One to five. Strongly agree or disagree. Number two. I must be perfect. Number three, I must prove myself worthy. Number four, I must be successful. Number five, I must not hurt, suffer, or have pain. Number six, I should not delay gratification. Number seven, I should not have to tolerate frustration. Number eight, life should work. Number nine, life should improve. And number 10, life should be fair. Life should be fair. If you've got a lot of high numbers, 
fours and fives with those statements, you can probably relate to my friend's frustration. We want the blessing of God, but we want it in a neat, clean package where all we have to do is enjoy its benefits. But the question is, is that realistic? Is it realistic to say life should be fair? Is it realistic to say I must be successful? Is it realistic to say life should improve? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What are the realistic expectations we should have if we really want to receive the grace of God as children of promise and blessing? And what are some difficulties or inconveniences is what I'm calling them tonight. Inconveniences that we should expect if we are going to participate in the promises of God. So our text tonight will be Genesis 25, verses 19 through 26. And this is the story of the conception and birth of Jacob and Esau. I don't have any water. It's okay. I'll survive. So an inconvenience is something that comes along that prevents us from enjoying something to the maximum. It prevents us from enjoying something as much as we could have if that inconvenience weren't there. As we look at this text, I want us to see three perils or inconveniences that are associated with receiving the grace of God and being a part of God's program. And so tonight we're going to see, first of all, that receiving God's grace requires rest. Number two, we're going to see receiving God's grace spawns struggle. And we're going to see that receiving God's grace includes conflict. All right, so the first inconvenience we see is going to come out of the example of Isaac in our story. And this first inconvenience is that receiving the grace or blessing of God requires resting. Receiving the grace of God requires rest. Let's begin by reading verses 19 and 20 of our text, reading from the ESV. It says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Hmm. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. All right, let's stop there. We see the author taking stock of where we are at in the story of Genesis. And we've now come to the account of Isaac and his children, and we are instantly reminded of one of the great themes of the book of Genesis, the theme of promise. The author reminds us that Isaac is the son of Abraham, who was no less than the friend of God. Isaac is the son of the friend of God. Isaac himself is a child of promise. God gave a promise to Abraham that he would multiply him and make him a great nation and bless the world through his seed. That passing on of blessing begins with Isaac, who is the true child of promise, not Ishmael, Isaac. We're starting to see the pedigree of this family. And in verse, in verse 20, we see that Isaac was, how old? 40 years old when he got married. Boy, he's at a good, ripe age for having kids. Right? 
Surely the promise is going to pass easily onto his descendants, the promise that God gave Abraham. Not only that, then we see, oh, he's married to Rebecca. Man, she was known as the hottie from Aramea. She's a cutie. She came from a good family. She wasn't one of those godless Canaanites that Abraham feared his son might end up marrying. She was beautiful. She's a virgin. Okay, no issues there. And we see a couple of chapters earlier that she was even handpicked by God to be the wife of Isaac, who is the child of promise. Man, this scenario is setting up so well. There's going to be no problem, physical or spiritual, to receive the promises and blessings that God was going to pass along through the family of Abraham. No problem, right? But then we read verse 21, and the tension of the story is introduced. It says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Uh Uh-oh. Now we see similarities between Isaac and Abraham. The only way Isaac could be born was hope that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman could conceive. Now a young woman is barren. How is God going to be able to keep his promises and continue to work out his program of redemption and blessing? But we see that Isaac knows how to receive the blessing. It tells us he prayed to the Lord for his wife. The rest of verse 21 says, And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the Hebrew makes it even more explicit that it was the praying that is being emphasized. It says, And Isaac implored of the Lord, and the Lord was implored by him. The emphasis is on the imploring. Isaac knew that naturally, in their natural physical state, the promise was dead. But supernaturally, the promise could be fulfilled. See, he probably knew the story of his own birth, right? Passed along to him by his father. So he knew that he could pray to God and have his prayer answered. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. Here's where this text becomes relevant for you and I as New Covenant believers. Because we are the children of promise. We are in Christ. And he is the seed through whom all the nations will be blessed. Everything in Genesis led up to Christ. And if you believe, you are a recipient of the promises. In Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. But here is the inconvenience. We must rest from all of our manipulations, all of our shrewdness, all of our intelligence, all of our human efforts in order to be able to receive what is promised. But we don't operate like that, right? I know even just saying that, some of you are saying, I got to do something. Because we're the busiest and most industrial society in the history of the world. You know that, right? We are constantly told that we can be stronger, we can be faster, we can be smarter, we can be better, we can be more prepared, we can try one more option, and we will be able to get for ourselves what God has promised. This text shows us that that's not true. 
in spite of Isaac and Rebekah being in the best possible scenario, best possible physical or spiritual condition to receive the promise, they could do nothing without supernatural intervention of God. One commentator puts it like this. He says, promise requires an end to grasping and certitude and an embrace of precariousness. That means uncertainty, an embrace of uncertainty. It is only God who gives life any pretense that the future is secured by rights or claims is a deception. We must rest and trust. All right, it's going to be interesting right now. Let's use a specific scenario. Suppose there is a couple who has wanted to have a baby, but they don't seem to be able to conceive. Or maybe somewhere in the world there is a single person that everyone would like to see married, but it's just not happening. They haven't found that mate yet. What's the first thing that people ask? What's wrong with them? What are they doing wrong? They're just not doing enough. This text shows us that ultimately it is up to God as to who receives the blessings he gives. We have to learn to rest and give up all the control that everyone says we have and allow God to work in his timing according to his plan. And that is so countercultural to our pull up your bootstraps and make your own future for yourself mentality. It's inconvenient because it makes us helpless. We choose to be helpless. But it puts trust in the only place that it can truly be effective. So you know what the best thing is that you can do for someone who you want to see be blessed? Can you guess? Can you follow Isaac's example? Pray for them. Brother Clinton told me just before I came up to spoke, I, I asked him if he missed his wife. He said, yeah. He said, I'm praying for you, for you so that you could find a, a wife. And I said, good. That's exactly what I'm going to say tonight. You wonder why... <laughs> If you want to see a single person receive the blessing of marriage, don't judge them. Pray for them. You want to know why single people whine about being single? It's because we're reminded all the time of how single we are. Uh, It's like we're broken or we're running out of time. Like I said, the, the next time someone asks me why I'm still single, I'm going to say it's your fault. You're not praying for me enough. Don't blame me. That's just, I'm just... Teaching the Bible, that's all. That's what it says. If you want to help a couple conceive, uh, if you want someone to get a job, uh, what can you do? Pray for them. Don't think that God is judging them or they haven't tried enough medical procedures or they haven't sent out enough applications or those kind of things. Certainly they need to be doing things, but ultimately it is going to come to God. Prayer is the means by which God has chosen to bestow grace independent of how hard we try so that we can understand how dependent we actually are. But not only does this text tell us that 
in our daily lives, as we live, we have to rest in order to effectively receive God's blessing. But it's even more fundamental and basic than that. To simply exist or be conceived as children of promise takes a supernatural act of God. Isaac was supernaturally conceived. Jacob and Esau are supernaturally conceived. Excuse me. Samuel is supernaturally conceived. Jesus himself is supernaturally conceived at the incarnation. John 1 verse 12 through 13 explains that we are in the exact same situation. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Through no willing of our own do we become children of God, but only by God's will. This is inconvenient because we have to rest and we have to wait for God to make new children. We, we can look at the state of the church and even Calvary Bible Church, and wonder if it is possible that people will just stop believing and the church disappears into history as a footnote. Or what about the parent who sees their child running full steam away from God? They might feel like they didn't do enough. Or the friend or spouse who thinks that if they could have just said that one right thing, They could have convinced that person they care about to believe. I interact with atheists all the time, uh, not in person, but on Facebook. It's a group made up predominantly of Bahamian atheists, and it's it's an interesting time in there sometimes. Uh, So I feel this frustration, because no matter how persuasive an argument, no matter how respectful you are, They will not turn. They will not repent. They will not acknowledge God. And so it's convinced me that it takes divine intervention and regeneration for a a person to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now this this should give us comfort because we know that God's word will not fail. And what did Jesus say? I will build my church. He will do it. He will build it at his pace, in his timing. At times it will flourish. At times it will struggle. But it is always under his command and control. He will create many more recipients of the promises, and we can rest in his ability to keep his promise. What's our job? Pray. Pray. Pray for those people that you want to see come to the Lord. So having to release control of the promise into God's hands, that's only one inconvenience of grace. Second one is a little more tangible. It's in the next portion of the story, and it concerns Rebecca. The first portion was about Isaac. This portion is about Rebecca. And here we see... Another inconvenience of grace is that it spawns struggle. Receiving grace spawns struggle. Rebecca gets pregnant. 
Woohoo! Right? Answered prayer. But it's not smooth sailing. Even though her pregnancy is a direct result of prayer. She still had to experience struggle in order to participate in the promises of God. The babies in her womb are struggling not to be viable, not to make it out alive. They're struggling against each other. And this verb for struggle in the Hebrew, not that you care that it's Hebrew, but that's what it is. Uh, this is a word usually meaning, mean, uh, excuse me, used to mean crushing or oppressing. It's not just babies wiggling in her belly. There's something major going on in her stomach. So this is a, a severe pain, a major complication. And it gets so bad that Rebecca, following the example of her husband, Isaac, she goes to God to ask what's going on. And I think the Net Bible does a great job of capturing the essence of what, of what she's asking God. Rebecca says, if it's going to be like this, I'm not so sure I want to be pregnant. Let's get this done. She's essentially asking God, why is this happening? These babies are an answer to prayer to fulfill the promise. It shouldn't be this hard. And I think all of us can relate to struggling with the blessings that God has given us. We asked for them, we got them, and we thought all we had to do was enjoy them. But then there came struggle and hard effort to maintain that blessing. It may have been a relationship that you asked God for. It may be like... Like Rebecca, a child that you definitely love, but man, they are a handful. They wear you out. The point is, you don't get to give up just because it's hard. What you can do is approach God and be just as honest as Rebecca and say that this is stressing you out and that you are overwhelmed and that you want to give up. It's okay to say that to God. But you still trust God and that you're going to stick with it. <clears throat> I think of one of my best friends at seminary. He, he met a girl his first year. They got married his second year. They got pregnant his third year. Right? He's having the full seminary experience, right? He's making the most of this. And then one week this summer, he sat down next to me in class and he said, I kicked her out of the apartment this morning and I told her not to come back kicked his six-month pregnant wife out of the apartment and told her not to come back because their arguments had gotten progressively more and more intense. I don't tell you that story to gossip. I tell you that story to say even seminary students who are pursuing the will of God in their life, they have to struggle to maintain the blessing that God has given them. It's going to be a struggle and crushing sometimes to participate in the promises of God. Coincidentally, our class that week was on human sexuality, and uh, we just so happened to have three of the best Christian counselors in America teaching the class that week. And at the 
first break of the class, he went down and instantly started speaking to them and talking about his issues. And when he mentioned that his wife was six months pregnant, they said, that might be a problem, <laughs> right? That might be a clue as to why she's being a little more irrational and not as pleasant as, as you're used to. Um, and he came back to his seat, sitting next to me, crying and resolved to make it work, to work through the struggle because this wife and this child was a blessing that God had given him. And thankfully, she did come home that night, and uh, they just put up some maternity pictures yesterday on Facebook. So they're doing great. They're doing fine. Um, the question is, how are you doing? How are you doing? What is that blessing of God that you want to give up on because it's too much struggle? Don't run from the struggle. Be like Rebecca and instead run to God. Accept his wisdom and strength through that process. Now you may say, but I don't really know if this is a blessing that God wants me to fight for. Then I would say go back to point number one and rest. And let God give you the blessings that he has for you. He will deliver in his timing. The final inconvenience I want to show you tonight is displayed in Jacob himself. It doesn't come from our, our desire to control our own lives. And it doesn't come from struggling with the blessing. It comes from outside the blessing. The reality is that people are not going to like that we receive grace and walk in favor, and they don't. Receiving grace includes conflict. That's our last point. Receiving grace includes conflict. Through the oracle that God gives to Rebecca, we learn that this problem in the womb is foreshadowing conflict that is going to be an everyday part of Jacob's life. It's going to characterize his life. Why? Because he is the child that is going to receive the blessing. And it's in the way he receives the blessing that is going to cause the conflict. God says, the older will serve the younger. God flips the natural order of things. The older son is supposed to receive the blessing. But God, by his own choice of his own free will, grants grace to the younger son, Jacob. And this is going to cause major issues for Jacob in the future. It's going to cause major issues for Israel as she battles with the Edomites consistently, the descendants of Esau. It's going to cause problems for Israel today. Why? They want what Israel has. And as children of promise, we now take the place of Jacob. Esau did not congratulate Jacob on receiving the promise, right? He was angry. And if we are the chosen of God, we cannot expect people to congratulate us. Oh, you got what I could have got. Great. People are going to think that we are undeserving and that it's not fair and they're going to be right. And that is a natural consequence of grace. 
life becomes unfair for us. And that's good. Because we were helpless. And we were weak. And we were dirty. And God reached down and picked us up and cleaned us and made us his child and adopted us into his family. And if it weren't for that, if it weren't for God being unfair to us, where would we be? He's given us all the physical and spiritual blessings that we could not get for ourselves. So let's stop kidding ourselves about being able to live at peace with everyone. It's not going to happen. Jesus said in John 15, 19, You do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world. For this reason, the world hates you. There is always going to be conflict between those who are chosen and blessed by God and those who God has rejected. So how much relief and less stress will we have if we saw conflict as a component of grace instead of being surprised by conflict? Or instead of always trying to appease people and make people feel better about the blessings that we have in Christ. We can't do it. Have you caught my theme tonight, my overarching theme? What's the main word that I've been saying a lot? Grace. Grace. And here's what I, here's what I want us to do. We're going to get into some application right now. Here's what I want you to do. Embrace the grace. Embrace the grace. God is giving us grace through all these inconveniences. Our lives are soaked in grace. Our lives are saturated with God doing for us that which we could not do for ourselves. God is always giving us grace. The blessing of the grace of God is greater than any inconvenience we have to experience in order to receive that grace. So, as a matter of tangible application, something you can actually do, how you can embrace the grace God has given you, I want you to take some time tonight, maybe 15 minutes before you go to bed, and think of one of the major challenges in your life. And then think of how God is showing you grace through that situation. All the inconveniences are in the midst of either God giving grace directly to you, or he's in the process of birthing something greater, just like in Rebecca. List those things out tonight and thank God for his goodness. Don't allow your circumstances to cause you to focus on the hardships and inconveniences that tend to make us forget that we are actually receiving greater grace because we are chosen by God. Don't focus on the inconvenience. Instead, embrace the grace. Inconveniences like rest, struggle, and conflict are small compared to what God has given us by grace through His Son. Embrace the grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you give us. Lord, 
forgive us for thinking that we in any way have earned your grace. For thinking that somehow we have uh, been able to clean ourselves up and make ourselves attractive to you. To accomplish anything apart from you. Lord, that dishonors you, that dishonors the amazing sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Father, let us leave this place tonight completely helpless, completely dependent on you, and making prayer an intentional priority. Understanding that in spite of the inconveniences or discomfort, that your grace is greater than, than our sin or any situation that we may be in. Father, we thank you for how good you are to us. We ask that you continue to show us grace and that we continue to be aware of it. In Jesus' name, amen.